We're going to be continuing and kind of, not kind of, we are ending our series in 1 Peter, um, Tried by Fire. And this evening, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Um, the topic is, is one where, like, in, in doing the studying for this, um, it's kind of hard because, you know, like you want to, like as, as, as I'm preparing, obviously there are things that God is dealing with me about myself. Um, and when we're talking about the topic of humility, um, there are ways in which I think we're going to see um, from the passage that, that there are ways in which the cares of the world can help to creep in a sense of pride or you taking on control of your life and trying to navigate spaces. Um, but in verse 5, he says that God resists the proud. And so there is a way where there is not a grace. If you've ever found yourself in a space where there's not a grace, there's not a, like an unmerited kind of power or force behind the things that you are doing, maybe you find yourself in a place of pride um, and you're resisting the grace of God um, because he resists the proud. Um, and so we're going to dive into that. I'm not trying to get into my sermon too early. Um, and, but, but, but the significance of this, I think, really ties a bow on what this entire series has been about when we think about suffering and being tried by fire. In fact, I think there's something that Paul, excuse me, Peter says um, in chapter 1, if you've kind of gone back, First Peter is not a very long chapter or um, epistle, and so you get an opportunity to read it. Over and over, it takes about 20 minutes to read. In verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These trials, these tests, the sufferings that we're dealing with, that we're going through, it's for an end, and it's for the end of our faith being Forged, as Pastor J.C. said, forged like, like gold is to show its purity, to show its strength, our faith being more precious than, than gold itself, um, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at verses 6 through 11 of chapter 5, so I ask that you will stand for the reading of the word. Humble yourselves, therefore... Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity to share, but I really want to just be used by you, Lord God. I ask that you will use me as a tool to communicate your message that you will prepare our hearts to receive a seed that will produce 30, 60, 100-fold fruit in our lives. We don't want a church experience. We want to experience you, Lord God, and be unleashed 
on this community in such a way that your glory is shown through us. Use this message, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, as I was um, preparing, it was really, really hard. Because this, the first couple of words here that Peter has, humble yourself. It's really like hard to get past that. But I've been assigned to preach on more than just verse 6. And so I had to kind of work through that. But I think the first and most important thing, as we think about this passage, as we think about this study, as I've kind of alluded back to why Peter was writing this to a people that were going through such hardships in their lives, whether it was from the governmental level, whether it maybe was in the home, maybe it was something at work, maybe it was relationships within their family because these Christians were considered to be someone that had sinned against God and they were being kicked out of the Jewish kind of circles and communities that did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. There was all types of trials and, 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 and suffering that, that these folks were going through. Slavery is mentioned even in there. Recognizing that what God is calling us to starts here, or as Peter is ending this letter, I think as he's closing it out, he's highlighting the thing that I think the soil by which all of the other virtues that you need to be able to suffer well is really found in, and is found in the soil of humility. Humility, sometimes we, to make sure that we're on the same page, um, sometimes you may hear about humility and you think of somebody who just thinks of themselves really low. Almost like, I'm not worthy or kind of like a dog and I'm, I, I can't do this, I can't do that. And that's not what humility means and that's not what Peter is getting at with his usage of the word here. Um, he, he was pointing to being low, but he's pointing in the direction of being under the mighty hand of God. It's the person who is humble is the person who is able to see themselves as they really are. Not too high, not too low. There's one who recognizes that if I'm going to live this life well, I can't do it on my own. You know, in... in when you take a step back and you think about our dependence on God, you may begin to recognize there are some things that you take for granted. Like breathing. Do you know, like, if God decided, I'm not doing oxygen today. It's a wrap for us. Not just me. All of us. Paul said it like this, we live, move, and have our being in him. Amen. And so when we, we are, when we're going through the various scenarios and situations that maybe you're currently in, that you've been through, or that may be on the way, the humble servant is the one that recognizes that God has an almighty hand and that he is in full control. And Peter is reminding those who are reading this letter of this fact 
Because previously in verse 5, he, he alludes to a Proverbs 3.34 where he talks about that God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. And so he gives this instruction for you and for I to humble ourselves. He's taking a position that is low and is dependent upon God. And then he describes kind of like what that looks like in this same verse, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He says to cast all of your anxieties on him. Anxieties are an interesting thing, and I think it's related to what he would say in verse 8 as he talks about the adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Anxieties have a way of getting into your heart. Jesus said it this way. Matthew 13, verse 22, it's the parable of the soil. The issues of life, which my personal note, the Matthew 13, um, verse 22, he talks about how the issues of life have a way of getting in. The seed that kind of goes into the rocky ground, the issues of life go in and they choke out the word. The issues of life, which ring out like a roaring lion, have the intent to choke out the word and to devour your faith. Peter's instruction to cast all of your anxieties on God is a way for you to begin to protect yourself from the roaring lion that prowls around seeking someone to devour. Please allow for a theology or a worldview that has an enemy of your soul in it. And that the issues of life aren't just, well, that's just how it is. There are ways in which the enemy attacks and he goes after us one prominent thing that happened in my life that many of you are aware of on in june of 2020 july excuse me july 18th was teaching a class life in the spirit someone came down and attacked me what the medical profession what the judge wanted me to believe or would say happened was that there was a chemical imbalance in the person and that's why they attacked me. But I recognized that it was the enemy himself who wants to destroy us, attacked me through that person. And there's a way in our culture that if you're not careful, it begins to erase the devourer of your soul or the one who would look to devour you. The enemy of your soul, the adversary, the accuser of the brethren, Peter was well aware of that. He was not just being, he was not being hyper spiritual or something like that, that there is actually an enemy that you have to be aware of. And so Peter says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. What's interesting is why would the enemy walk around like a prowling, prowling lion? Because when we first encounter the enemy in, in, in Genesis, we see him as a serpent. I think this is where Jesus' words about how the, 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 the seed of, of God's word being planted in your heart can get choked out. 
I think it's, it's kind of related here because a roaring lion has a way of initiating some fear that causes you to want to react. The roar of a lion. I, I, I experienced it one time at the D.C. Zoo. <laughs> so, so we were at the zoo. I had my kids and, 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 you know, we were having a good time. It's like, oh, you know, like, let's check out the lion. That's nice. And the lion was like at the top of this hill. And that hill probably was... I don't know, maybe 50 feet high. I mean, it was pretty high. I don't, maybe that's an exaggeration. I don't know. But it was really high. But there was a pretty significant difference, distance between the top of the hill to the bottom of the hill. And then there was kind of like a, a fence or a gate or something along those lines. And then there was like a moat in between that that was pretty significant. I certainly wouldn't have tried to jump it. And then on top of that, there was another gate that was higher, certainly much taller than I was. And I was a few back, feet back from that. The lion decides to get up and stretch himself. And he let out this roar. And TV doesn't do it justice, man. He let out this roar that immediately caused me to take another step back. Just in case I was too close. Because what he revealed to me was that I'm pretty insignificant in front of this 2,000 pound beast and he would destroy me. The enemy uses your issues, and he's roaring, he's, he's amplifying the effects of the suffering and the trial that you are going through. Maybe you're having some issues with money, and he roars at you, where are you going to pay your rent? How are you going to get the mortgage paid? You're going to end up on the streets. And he, he yells, he, 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 he amplifies it, he, he causes you to try to figure it out because the anxiety, the, the worry there is churning on the inside of you, challenging you to the thought that you are under the hand of the almighty God. Remember when, when um, HB was just talking about it, the... the, the, the as she was just saying with the disciples on the boat and the storm comes, that issue is like a roaring lion to them. And though Jesus said we're going to do A, B, and C, they couldn't see it happening because of the roar of the lion. And despite the distance that I had from that lion, when he roared, your boy backed up. I didn't want to have nothing to do with it. Peter is letting you know that God is using these trials and situations for one thing. Verse 5 is the testing of your faith, which is more precious than gold, so that when Jesus comes back, there will be a great reward for you. The enemy at the same time is trying to leverage the situations, whether he's created it or not, to cause you to be in a panicked state cause you to respond to life through the lens of anxiety. And a part of his plan is to get you to put your hands back on the control of your life so that you can make a different decision. I need to leave this marriage. Certainly there are some circumstances, but the loudness of the discomfort that you may have, how you're not happy and things like that is coming at you like a roaring lion that is trying to squeeze out 
God's response or what God's direction would be for you in that particular situation. The anxieties of life are ones that capture your attention like a roaring lion will. And if he gets you distracted enough, he will devour you. We've seen some brothers and sisters who have fallen away from the faith because their particular circumstance, their particular situation was far too much for them. And I think it has a lot to do with not understanding that the humble person, the one who doesn't think too high of themselves, who doesn't think that this is how life is supposed to go. So much so that you're angry with God when it doesn't work out the way that you have planned for your life. And you stand in opposition to his plan, his will. It's the person who is humble. In fact, it's the person who has clothed himself in humility. Under the mighty hand of God. That is positioned to cast their cares onto God. To give it to him. To not get caught up in masking it. Peter says that, you know, God cares for you. Be sober-minded. Why does he say that? Because some of us have a way of trying to use various vices to dilute the issues, to, to, to take the pain of the situation away. And so we're not in a state of mind where we're thinking clearly. And so as this roaring lion comes and we hear the, 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 the sound of the issues of life, we're not able to make sound decisions because we're not sober-minded. The one who casts his cares on God can remain sober-minded. He can be watchful. He can say that this particular situation that I'm filling with money, I'm not going to answer it that way because that's not pleasing to God and he's not going to take advantage of this opportunity because he's alert to the way that the enemy is trying to twist things. That he's humbled himself. He's brought himself low underneath this God who understands the circumstance that you're going through. The roaring of the lion, the confusion that comes with suffering at times makes it more difficult to, 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 to understand what, what Peter says in that God cares for you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know, I've, I've been wrestling as I've been studying this particular part of 1 Peter. And what it, how is it that, that God cares for me, but I'm going through this hard thing? I'm going through this hard situation, and if God cared, he could just change it, can't he? It's that inner wrestle. But I think that's a part of how the enemy wants to deceive you. He wants to take the situation, have you go down a pathway of thinking that somehow my comfort equals God caring for me. Remember, God, what Peter says in, in, first, in chapter 1, verse 7, 
the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold and perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is something much bigger than your comfort in the here and now that God is trying to get you to. Something far greater that the enemy is working to keep from you. Something far greater. As he's talking about the enemy, Peter says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. One other thing I want to say about this fight, as we, you, 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 if, you, if you make this decision to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that is going to position you where you will be able to cast all of your cares onto him, onto God. You'll, you'll move those things over to him. And the person who has cast all of his anxieties, I keep saying cares, but his anxieties onto God is the one that is able to be sober-minded. He is able to be watchful. He recognizes that there really is an enemy of my soul who is looking to devour someone. So I'm able to begin to perceive the schemes of the enemy. And it's not because of the keenness of my eye. It's because of the conversation that I have with the God who has an ear to hear because he cares for me. See, if, I, if I, a part of the humility, the part of me seeing myself as I am requires for me to go to God and say, I can't do it by myself. I need your help in this situation. I mean, it sounds simple. But how often do we find ourselves in situations where that was not the first step? Where you, you tried to figure it out on your own and you ended up getting yourself in a bigger ditch. It's important for us to not just mentally grasp ideas that are presented to us in Scripture. But that we may need to mull over them and wrestle with them until they become a part of our life so that we can see well. Because if you don't see God right... If you, if, if you can't see that he is the almighty, then you won't see what is behind that, 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 that even though this circumstance has arisen, my God is still in full control. And that he can give me wisdom on how to navigate this thing. Not what everybody else has done to navigate that situation. That God may have something special for me because there's a walk that he has with me that is unique. I'm not talking about getting outside of orthodoxy or something like that. So, yes, we, we want to utilize our family of believers and the council of elders and, and, and pastors and things of that nature to, to help navigate certain spaces. But there is something unique about what God wants to do in your life. And it takes that type of intimacy with him to be able to find it out. 
This disposition of the one who has humbled himself under the mighty hand of God is the one that also recognizes that you are not the only one that are going through suffering. Peter says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. One of the things that I do in the men's ministry, we have um, what we call the Conquer Series. The Conquer Series is, I think it's excellent. It's an excellent tool to help us to deal with addiction to sexually immorality. One of the things that I notice in that class, even though that they're, they're, I, I, I have this class for men, and it was really interesting that even in kind of introducing the class and talking about the subject matter, I would find at times it's hard to discuss because you have to kind of share something that's going on with you. And the reason why I find it interesting is that trepidation to share comes from this space that I feel like I'm the only one who is going through it. And I don't want anybody else to know just how ugly it is of what I'm going through. Everybody else in the room has the same testimony, but I still find myself having trepidation sharing about my past because I don't want everybody else to know. Man, this is an attack of a roaring lion that will tell you that the community of believers isn't suffering. It's because God doesn't care about you is why you're going through what you are going through. And just like a lion, a pack of lions going after a wildebeest, they find the one that is limping along by itself or at the back of the pack, and they try to get it off on by itself so they can attack it, kill it, and eat it. And the enemy has a way of making you feel like you're the only one who is going through the marital issues that you have and that there is nobody else that can help or understand. You are the only one that is dealing with an issue at your job and, and your boss treating you the way that you're, you've, you're being treated or your past coming to catch up with you. And now you're dealing with the consequences, but nobody else has experienced that. He wants to keep you on the island. Because if he has you on the island, now he can help you to, to, to begin to, to slide into this place that God doesn't care for you. But Peter wants us to know that some of the same trials that you're going through. And there are others that are a part of the brotherhood. That they're going through the same kind of sufferings. It's important that you know that. And Peter says, and, it, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. It's not going to last always. Do you hear me? It is not going to last always. The God of all grace. Who has called you into his eternal glory. In Christ. What God is working on. 
It's bringing you into an eternal type of glory. The kind of glory that you get in this life, even if you were to be a mega star in whatever work arena that you're in. Maybe your dream isn't to be a pop star and on TV, but even if you was the, the considered the, the foremost knowledgeable person in your area of expertise, the glory you would get from that does not compare. It does not compare to the glory that God has called you into. The person who chooses to humble himself under the mighty hand of God not only is able to begin to see how the enemy is working against him, but the woman who has chosen to humble herself under the mighty hand of God. She is able to have an eye, not just on this life, but on eternity as well. That there is a motivation that allows you to persevere through the suffering because on the other side of it is something far greater than what you are going through. Most of us have experienced it a little bit. Something like this. Much smaller scale, doesn't even compare. But to help you to conceptualize it, when you were going through high school or many of you through college, there was this thing that I ran into called senioritis. And he had a way of making McDonald's seem way more attractive than going to my literature class. Cedar Ietis, to deal with it, I had to recognize that, man, I actually want to walk across the stage and be done with this thing and not have to come back and repeat a course or something like that. And so for the small glory that was on the other side of my senior-itis, I was willing to persevere through, not perfectly, but persevere through <laughs> so that I could get my diploma. Likewise, in this life, there are great things. There are things that we look forward to that, that are to be celebrated and to be excited about. But if you lose sight of what we're really trying to achieve, what we really are a part of, then we make decisions that don't comport to what the real desire should be. You make a decision in the here and now with no eye to the future. And so as we think about winning the city, if God has planted you in this church, he's called you to be a member of this church. And this is the vision that he has given to us. If we, if we, if we have a, a vision for eternity, then God, what do you need me to do? If we make a decision by the here and now, there is no way I am moving to that part of D.C. Because that would disrupt my comfort. Now, you, we, we're not going to say it like that. Our hearts are a little bit more deceptive than that. But it goes back to being able to clearly see that God cares for you. Because if we have made God's care for us mean our comfort, 
then we justify not participating in a way that would make us uncomfortable, even if God is calling us into it, because it can't be God who would do that, because my God, the definition of the God that I know, cares for me, and so he must want me comfortable. But not at all. We have to lay it down and live for him. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ himself, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Even if you're ashamed in this life, there's a way that God will restore you. He's going to confirm that you're making the right decisions, even when family members, those who who love you, say you're making the worst decision of your life. He's going to confirm that it was the right decision. He's going to establish something in you that has eternal value, far greater than the comfort or the, the affirmation that can come from man or from this world. God, I'm out of order, but he will strengthen you so that as you go through this trial, that when the next trial comes, I know I can get through that. I love how um, Pastor J.C. said it in his sermon, um, Forged by Fire. He's talking about his wonderful wife and, and the situation that they had with their firstborn and, and how she was able to um, muster up the strength to be able to, to deliver the baby. And there was a level of strength that caught J.C. by surprise and said he thought he could take his wife, but now he had to reconsider and continue to work out on a consistent basis because he saw a strength that he didn't have in himself. I think I might have added that last part there. (laughs) There is something great that Peter is trying to, to express in this letter to those who who have been spread abroad in minor Asia, and he's trying to help them to be able to process through the suffering that they're going through, the trials that they are going through. And thus he is helping us to deal with the day-to-day issues of life that come in like a roaring lion to try to choke out the word that's in us. But we're going to resist the enemy. We're going to resist him, stand firm in the faith because we know that God himself will deliver us from the situation. We know that God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And he ends it to him be the dominion forever and ever. The roaring lion presents himself as if he is in full control. But Peter reminds us That this grace that we have to go through these trials is being conducted by the one or allowed to happen by the one who has all dominion. All dominion, all power belongs to him. You will not be ashamed by living for Christ, even when it gets hard. Submitting to him, following the example of Jesus. I'm really struck by this idea that Peter himself walked with Jesus. 
I mean, he saw Jesus sweat. He probably cracked jokes with Jesus. He saw how Jesus ate fish and, you know, maybe he, Jesus had a way of eating that you could hear and, and maybe it annoyed Peter a little bit. I don't know. But he had an experience with Jesus here on the earth that I won't get to have until some other you know, as, as, we, as we move in, into a new kind of expression of this world and a new Jerusalem and things like that. But Peter himself saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus heal blind eyes, calm storms. But because he was Humbled, because Jesus had humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, he let human beings. I mean, we're talking about the author of life. He let human beings talk to him crazy, threaten to kill him, lay hands on him, put him up on a cross. Because he was submitted to the plan of God. Because there was a joy that was set before him that was far greater than what he had to go through to get there. Peter, over and over in this letter, points to Jesus as our example. That is the disposition of the humble servant. And that is the humble servant who obtains eternal glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity to share your word. My prayer, Lord God, is that you will help us to walk in the humility that allows us to be strengthened by the grace to go through any and every situation that you lay before us, understanding that you have all dominion and power and that you are in full control and that you can use us for your own glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.